If you have a Bible this morning, let's open up to John chapter 3. We're going to look at a very familiar passage this morning. As the title of our message is, For God So Loved the World. And you probably know where that came from. It was our memory verse just a little while ago. So hope that you'll open up there. Remember, if you have no idea where the Gospel of John is, that's okay. Feel free to use the table of contents. You're going to look, you're going to get into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look for the big number three. We're going to be in that chapter. We're going to start in, chap- in verse 14 this morning. We're going to overlap a bit with two verses from last week and read this in context this morning. So I hope that you'll have that there in front of you. And as we get going this morning, I want to uh, remind you of something that happened in the, in the 1980s that happened for the first time that's now become kind of a sporting tradition in our country. When you think about this, at some point, somewhere, at some time, it had to appear for the first time. And what I'm talking about is John 3.16, either on a t-shirt or in a sign, being held up on TV in sports stadiums. There, it had to start somewhere, and it did. After attending the 1979 Super Bowl and after seeing a TV show about Bible prophecy, a guy named Rick Rollin realized that he could spread the gospel over, over the TV at sporting events, and so he traded in his signature fur loincloth for a John 3.16 t-shirt. He kept his signature rainbow wig, you may have seen it, and the rest is TV history and has continued to be sporting lore until this day. And throughout the 1980s, Rollin would become a fixture in the stands at NBA, in, uh, Major League Baseball, NFL games, etc., etc., so much so that people would either leave a ticket for him or gatekeepers would just let him in. He became such a fixture. His nickname was actually Rockin' Rollin, and he had this big rainbow wig and he wore, this, wore this, the T-shirt. He would go on to travel over 60,000 miles a year in his pursuit to have John 3.16 put in front of the masses. Many became so intrigued by his regular appearances on TV, they would actually look for him. And a lot of people actually went and were intrigued and looked that verse up in their Bible for the very first time. They would, they would go and see John 3.16. Sadly, in the life of Rollin, his old demons caught up with him, and since 1993, he's been in prison. But his legacy lives on. And John 3.16 still appears on signs in stadiums around the world. You may have been to one or seen one. You may have even gone and held the sign up yourself. John 3.16 has been called the golden verse because it encapsulates the gospel message so succinctly and memorably. And as we know, it's rightfully held up at sporting events on posters. Sometimes you know, it's written on players' eye black stickers like Tim Tebow would write them on their John 3.16. And for good reason. It's a great verse. It really is a great verse that encapsulates the gospel. But this is a verse that, even though it's so well known, has often been removed from its immediate context in John chapter 3. And as a result, it actually loses some of its theological punch. So as we consider this well-known verse this morning, I want us to read it in its proper context. And I want us to ask, how does this verse, when properly understood, actually deepen our understanding of the gospel? How does, when we read it in context, how does that actually deepen our understanding of the gospel? I just want you to think about this morning. And so let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in John chapter 3, verse 14, and we're going to go through verse 21. So let's give attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'm very thankful for that, and I hope you are as well. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to this text. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these memorable verses, this encapsulation of the gospel. And we do pray, O Lord, that you would help us to understand you and understand your gospel more clearly. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to worship you even as we sit under your word. Thankful that you have given us your word in love. Meet us now, Lord, we pray and ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my seminary professors, actually he was my preaching professor, Dr. John Oliver, he said that when he was in pastoral ministry, it had taken him 10 years before he felt like he was even remotely capable to be able to preach John 3.16. He said, I just didn't feel up to it for 10 years. I, at first glance, was like, what are you talking about? Come on. I mean, you're teaching us how to preach texts and do all of this. You may know I have actually been ordained for 10 years. And this is actually the first time I have ever thought about even approaching this passage. Because not only is it so well known, it's just so rich, I don't feel like I can do it justice. So I approach this text with great fear and trepidation, but also trusting Christ this morning because I'm very grateful for it. But at first I didn't understand what my seminary professor was saying. But now 10 years later, this is the first time I've actually ever preached on this passage. And as we think about how we interpret biblical texts like this, as I've mentioned before, the most important aspect of real estate is also the most important aspect of understanding a particular verse of Scripture. And that important aspect is location, location, location. Okay? To truly understand the meaning of this well-known verse, we need to understand it in its context, which is what we're going to do this morning. And if you're a note-taking type of person, we're going to look at two big things, not three. We're going to look at two this morning. (laughs) We're going to see the love of the Father, and number two, we're going to see the light of the Son. So the love of the Father, the light of the Son, I got the alliteration in there, so love and light. And so remember, as we're looking this morning, Jesus is still speaking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, whose religious worldview revolved around the Jews, the sons of Abraham, being the chosen people of God through lineage. And last week we saw how Jesus blew up Nicodemus' thoughts about salvation coming through physical birth and lineage and human merit by saying that the necessary condition for seeing the kingdom of God is a spiritual rebirth from above. You must be born again to be able to see the kingdom of God. And so this is just a continuation of this theological statement that Jesus is making. This is one point where probably in your Bible you have like a little break between verses 15 and 16 and it has a little subscript there for God so loved the world. Those are really helpful to help us find our place in the text. But this is one instance where you need to mentally remove that in your mind because this is all part of one larger discourse, okay? This is part of a conversation. So you kind of have to remove that in your mind. Now last week we talked about spiritual regeneration, this rebirth, this new birth. And we saw that it is a gift of divine grace. 
we saw and remembered the, the passage from Ezekiel 36 about the valley of the dry bones, that a dead stony heart is going to be removed and a new living heart is a gift. That is what this spiritual regeneration is. Remember, we uh, talked about last week, I made reference to the two rusted out dead cars in the woods on the, on the way home. And we said that God set his love on dead, rusty cars like us and promised to do what is, whatever is necessary to reclaim and restore them completely because they could not do it themselves. So you have to keep that in mind, that this, this new birth, this regeneration happens. It precedes faith. Remember we talked about that last week. Regeneration precedes faith. It is a work of God's Spirit where he removes this dead stony heart and puts in a new living heart. And remember we said last week, Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. And that's the message of the gospel. Now, let's look at verse 14. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus referenced a memorable story from Numbers 21 that Nicodemus knew well and would have immediately come to mind. That God had given the people of Israel a great victory, but they constantly grumbled and complained about God bringing them out into the wilderness to die, even though God was still feeding them manna. And they even rebelled against Aaron and Moses' leadership. So you have these people being brought out and they just grumble and come, God, why did you bring us out here, Lord? You just brought us out here to die. And they rebel. So God does something really strange in Numbers 21. He sends venomous snakes as a punishment for their sin and rebellion. And we think about this, and the people are grumbling and sinning against the Lord. Did they deserve it, yes or no? Yes, they did, 100%. They 100% deserve the snakes being sent. And as the snakes go through, they would bite the people, and then the people... Uh, you know, obviously they're bit by venomous snakes, and so they're going into the throes of death. And as Moses interceded for the people, God told him to do another thing that was really strange, which is make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole. And the big idea for that whole little encounter there was to look in faith to God for healing and be saved. Look in faith to the snake. Look in faith, trusting that God would heal you. Look in faith and, and be saved. The, the little phrase is, look and live. God was under 0% obligation to do this, even though the people 100% deserved it. God had, was under no compulsion to provide this way, but he did. He did provide a way. And similar to Jesus cryptically referring to his own body as the true temple in chapter 2, verse 19, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Remember, they say, which sign do you tell us You know, when Jesus cleanses the temple? And he said, tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. He was talking about himself. So just like that, Jesus now refers to himself as the true bronze snake, that he would soon be lifted up, and those who look to him in faith would find healing. Again, this idea, look in faith and live. Look and live. Christ himself would soon absorb the full venom of God's wrath for sin on the cross to open up the way to eternal life. And again, as you see this, echoes of Genesis 3.15 come back in. Because remember, the serpent would bite your heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. This promised one would come and be bitten. You have echoes of this, this whole you know, snake and salvation coming through this promised one. You just see echoes of this again. Now, what was the condition mentioned in verse 15? The condition for this was faith in the Son of Man. Those who look to the Son of Man put their faith in Him, the one who was lifted up, those are the ones who would be saved. Faith in the Son of Man, Christ Himself. And so now, in point one, we see the love of the Father. Now, as we get to verse 16, we see the word for, right there, which links what is about to be said with what came before, 
right? So four, in light of what I've just said. Now, let's look at this. It says, for God so loved. Here's what D.A. Carson said. As the new birth, the acquisition of eternal life has been grounded in the lifting up of the Son, so also that lifting up is itself grounded in the love of God. The word for love used here is agapa, agapao, which is this self-sacrificial love freely given without reference to the loveliness or merit of the object of that love, similar to how a father loves his children. It's just, I love you just because I love you. Not based on your loveliness, I just have set my love upon you. And so we see just in these opening few words, for God so loved, God the Father was the greatest lover who loved to the greatest degree. Now we see, for God so loved the world, the next two verses. And we need to remember God's covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 17 to get a better understanding of what the world refers to in this verse. Remember, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. Old Testament is what he would be thinking. Genesis 17, verses 3 through 5, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The Hebrew word there is goyim, which refers to foreign, non-Jewish nations. That was the plan. I make you a father of many nations beyond your own ethnic group. It's going to include representatives, as John Matthew said, from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And so it was God's plan from the very beginning to gather his elect from every tribe, nation, tongue, and nation throughout the world. And his love is not restricted by race. It's not dependent on the recipients. It's freely given by grace to sinful people like you and me. And that's good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We see God the Father gave the ultimate gift through the ultimate act to a world that ultimately hated him. Think about that. Don't believe me? Look at verse 19. What does verse 19 say? And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, speaking of Christ, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so you have God the Father giving the ultimate gift. Here's what Gordon Ketty said. He said, God's love for sinners was such that he was willing for his son to bear the penalty of the full weight of the divine justice that was due to them. Now I admit, we all at many times have gotten hung up on who constitutes the world in this verse. And so we, we get so hung up on that that we miss the fact that he has graciously provided a way for dead, rusted out, undeserving cars like us to be saved through the gracious provision of his own son, all this for the sake of his, of his enemies. You think about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to save sinful people like you and me who were his enemies and rebelled and hated him and loved their wickedness. That is who God chose to set his love upon and to redeem. And we charge God with being unfair until we realize what we actually deserve. Then it changes everything. I once heard a guy say, be careful to charge God with being unjust unless you know what he knows. Stuck with me. I don't know what God knows. But he does. And he sees the evil and the wickedness and the fallenness in this world. And yet, even in the midst of that, instead of wiping it all out, which he could have done, he chose to make a way. 
and to redeem and reclaim and restore. That's why your Bible is not a page and a half. Genesis 3, we make it a page and a half in, and then we mess it all up. And we totally deserved it. The fact that your Bible is more than a page and a half long is a testament to God's grace and His mercy. And that the fact that He has provided a way through His Son, that on the train wreck of, God, of man's fall into sin in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3.15, He promises, I'm going to send one who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. It's the first time the gospel is mentioned in the Bible. And the whole rest of the Bible is an outworking of that verse where God has promised, I'm going to come and I'm going to provide one who's going to come and do it for you. It's the gospel. The word election is in the Bible. I get it. The question is, what do we do with it? We've got to deal with it. It's even in the King James. You can't get around it. It's in there. That word election in the Bible will always be a cuss word for those who haven't fully come to grips with the fact that they were the dead rusty cars in the woods. That God chose to set his love upon them and do whatever was necessary to bring them from spiritual death to life. For those who fully get that, for those who understand that, where they fit into that equation, for those who really get that, that word becomes their greatest hope. Because they know what, the, what they truly deserved apart from that. That if God had not done that, you would have no hope. And suddenly it moves from a cuss word to your only hope. I get it. I wrestled with it for years. But suddenly I realize it's a picture of grace. Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, for God so loved, in love He predestined us, uh-oh, for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Now, as we wrestle with these words, okay, the question that R.C. Sproul asked that I thought was really helpful, he said, the question is, is not why is there only way, only one way. The question is why is there even one way? It's not why is there only one way. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which man can be saved but Christ Jesus. The question is not why is there only one way. The, the real question is why is there even one way? Why does that even exist at all? Romans 5.10 for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Again, here's what Ketty said. He gave His sons to die for people who were dead to Him and did not want to be saved by Him. Now stop and reflect on this this morning, especially as the supper is set before you. Okay? It's right there. As the supper is set before you. If you're here and know Christ, stop and dwell upon the grace and mercy that was purchased at the cross of Christ so that you could hear the great shepherd's voice. Count the cost of what it took. As you take the bread and the cup, dwell upon the perfect body that was broken for you, so that you could walk under the banner of God's love and forgiveness in full assurance. In full assurance of His faith, of His love. We all need to take stock and repent of the ways that we have all given our sin a pass, and pridefully thought that we somehow saved ourselves. And as we are doing that, we rob Christ of His glory. And we think that we somehow did some of it. Again, we have said the old quote that's so true, the only thing that you bring to the salvation equation is the sin that made it necessary. That's it. It's all we bring. May we all confess and repent of the ways we've taken the gospel for granted, sullied the name of Christ through our indifference, our pride, our lack of love towards each other in the body of Christ, may it never be again. Change us, O Lord, is our prayer.
Lord, send revival to your church, please. And let it start right here. Start with us, O Lord. We sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make make a wretch His treasure. That is the gospel. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Perfect person, an awesome person like me who had it all together? No, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, had no idea where I was going. Lost in darkness, verse 19 and 20. I once was lost, but now am found. I have been found. I did not find myself. Jesus found me in that state. Was blind, but now I see. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? When that gets in your bones, it changes absolutely everything. When you realize that you didn't deserve a bit of it, and Christ has chosen to set His love upon you, in love He chose you. When you get that, finally, it changes everything. We think about that and how deep the Father's love and the gospel and all that we've talked about, but there's even more. There's even more. We see the love of the Father, but now we see the light of the Son. Point two, look. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Verses 19 and 20 talk about this world of spiritual darkness that the Son was sent into. This is a world that is hostile to God. It loves its sin. It wants to stay in it. A world that gnashes its teeth at God and openly mocks His name. That is the world to which Christ came. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of God. They're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Isaiah 9.2, we love this at Advent, but it matters all the time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the good news. Again, here's what Ketty said. What God does not love is clear enough. God does not love the world of evil. God hates sin. He also hates sinners who unrepentantly send their way into a lost eternity. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but his love is particularly directed to the world he will redeem through the power of the everlasting gospel in Christ Jesus, his Son. The purpose of God's love in sending his Son was and is to bring lost people one by one to saving faith in Christ by removing their dead heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. Now think about this. If you take this verse out of context... Okay, we're talking about reading it in context and how it actually restores the theological punch to this. If you take it out of context, you only have a call to faith, but it's not coupled with any power to actually accomplish it. Because what it does is it leaves God waiting for spiritually dead people to make a spiritual decision. That's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And it makes man the sovereign. If you take this out, it's just a call to believe with no power to actually make it happen. That's why when you put it in context, Christ bubbles to the surface. And suddenly it puts us in the dust. It's amazing when you think about this. But if you place it in context, you fully recognize God's sovereignty, power, and might to actually change a spiritually dead heart. Bring that regeneration that we talked about last week and give the gift of saving faith. It is a call with all the power to do it. 
Our shorter catechism, question number 31, asks, what is effectual calling? Here's what it says. Effectual calling is a work of God's Spirit, not yours. Whereby, convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. We see John 1.4, in him Jesus was life, and the light was the light of man. But now we see even more that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Would it shock you to know that the word whoever is actually not in the original Greek text? It's not sinful. It's just, you know, translation, trying to help it be readable and all of that. But would it shock you to know that that word is actually not in the text? You may have grown up hearing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, harping on whoever, whoever, whoever. It's actually not in the original. It literally reads in the Greek, the son of him, the only born, he gave in order that the ones having faith into him would not be fully destroyed but hold life perpetually. That's how the Greek reads. And this is not referring to a universal capacity for everyone to believe. It's not universalism. It is referring to a universal result eternal life for all who do put their faith in Christ. For all those who do put their faith in Christ, you don't perish but have eternal life. You hold it perpetually, eternally. Again, this is where context matters and actually where the jewel of the gospel shines bright. We see in verse 17, Jesus was originally sent to save the world, not condemn it. Now why? Why was he sent to, why was he sent to the world not to condemn it but to save it? Because of verse 18. It was condemned already. It was condemned already for all the reasons listed in verses 19 and 20. It looked like the valley of dry bones we talked about last week. It was dead, and spiritually dead people can't do anything but be spiritually dead. But before the foundation of the world, God made a covenant of redemption with His Son to do whatever it took to save and secure salvation for His treasured possession, His chosen people, from all nations, tribes, and tongues in the world. It is sheer absolute grace. This is one reason why we should fight against racism in the church of Christ. His elect are from every corner of the globe and Jesus died for them all. What if Jesus, what if God had just stopped with one ethnic group? Then we Gentiles sitting here today would have absolutely no hope. You ever think about that? That's hope. Heaven will be a beautifully diverse place full of our brothers and sisters from around the world with Jesus at the center, as Revelation 5, 9, and 10 tells us. It's going to be a beautifully diverse place because God is bringing representatives from every nation, tribe, and tongue whom He has called from the foundation of the world to be His own and has then done whatever it took to secure them and to keep them until the very end. Don't you see it? It's beautiful news. So what do we think about this verse? The greatest lover, God, gave the greatest gift, His Son, through the greatest act, the cross, so that those shown the greatest grace, sinners, could receive the greatest promise, not perishing, and have full assurance of the greatest uh, promise of all, eternal life, through the greatest avenue of simplicity, faith alone, in the greatest Savior, Jesus Christ. Greatest, 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 greatest. Is this on? Think about that. 
For God so loved the world, those sinful people that before the foundation of the world, He chose to set His love upon, even though they didn't deserve it, that He would give His one and only Son freely over to death, so that sinful people like you and me, when we put our faith and trust in Christ alone, would not be utterly destroyed, as the Greek reads, but have life eternal through that Son. That is a reason to get up in the morning. That is a reason to weep when you take the supper. Lord, why me? Why would you ever do that for me? His body broken for you. His blood spilled for you in your sinful estate when you were enemies of His so that you could hear His love. You could hear the voice of the shepherd. It's good news. It's the good news of the gospel. It's not jump harder, try harder, believe more. It's look and live. Look to Jesus Christ and live. Look to Him in faith. Trust in what He has done on the cross as He was lifted between heaven and earth for you and you didn't deserve a bit of it. That doesn't take your breath away. I don't know what does. It's the beauty of the gospel. I preach it till I die. It's amazing. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And again, here's what Keddie said. He's smart, and I just quoted him a lot. He says, faith embraces Christ. Faith receives his victory over death. Faith is the means by which we come to know and experience the power of Christ's resurrection. And this is the purpose of God's love, to pour the life of heaven, everlasting life into spiritually dead souls. This is all a gift of God's grace to undeserved people. Don't you see when you put it in context, it has a punch. Because not only is it a call to faith, it is coupled with full power to accomplish that in your dead stony heart, in my dead stony heart, that I will remove this heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will make you to hear my voice and I will do whatever it takes to redeem and restore and reclaim you so that you could walk in full assurance knowing for a fact that you will spend an eternity in an undeserved heaven through what Christ has done for you. It's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel set before you at the table. Look and live. It's amazing. All of it is an undeserved gift of God's amazing grace. That's our closing hymn on purpose. And it is the best news that we could share with the dead and dying world if we would just trust the Holy Spirit enough to step out in faith and try it. What is another motivation to do this? What is another motivation to go and share this good news with our neighbors? Verse 17 tells us that Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but we know that He will one day return to judge it. 2 Corinthians 5, 10-11, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Think about this. Imagine having to go and stand before the judgment seat of Christ on your own merit. Think about that. Having to go and stand before the judgment seat of Christ as is promised without a mediator. Would you have any hope? No. I would have no hope. You would have no hope. Imagine doing that and dwell on that 
if you are here and you do not trust Christ, this is terrifying news that you cannot escape on your own merit and without a mediator. And as a minister of the gospel, I implore you to flee to Christ by faith. Flee to Christ. Repent and turn to Jesus in faith, trusting in what he has done. If you are here and you do trust Christ, ladies and gentlemen, fear not. Fear not. You are covered by the righteousness of Christ, and he already took upon himself what you justly deserve, and so you have nothing to fear because your sin has been dealt with. Look no further than the table set before you for that blessed assurance. Your sin has been dealt with on the cross of Christ. So what are we to do with this golden verse? What do we do with it? Share it, as it has been done for centuries. He calls us not to be the frozen chosen. Okay? We are called to rejoice in the warmth of His undeserved love and favor and go tell others about it. We sow a seed in faith with our words and deeds and we trust God for the harvest as the Holy Spirit brings changes into the heart of people. We, as we live faithful lives in the midst of a fallen world, we show that the light has overcome the darkness. Verse 21. Verse 21 reads, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We have no idea whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, but God does. And so we shouldn't be afraid of evangelism because we understand that the results are not left to us. The pressure is off. Go share the gospel of grace with a broken and dying world. Go share it. Go tell others. I have the best news you could ever hear. There has been a way that has been made through the cross of Christ for, your, for God's wrath to be dealt with, for your sin to be paid for in Jesus and Jesus alone. We have good news to share. You want to know a great place to start with how to share this faith with others? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that good news? Especially when you realize where you are in the equation. That all of it is a gift of God's grace. And as we approach the table this morning, I want us to remember all that Christ has done for us. And so the Lord knows that we are fickle and forgetful people, and we need to be reminded of Christ's return. We forget all of this. We need to remember His grace and His mercy, and so He has given us this physical reminder, and this is a good gift given to us by a loving God. This is not a table for perfect people, though. It's not a table for perfect people who have it all together, and that's good news, but it is for those who see their sin and their need for a Savior. It's for Christians who look to Jesus alone by faith for salvation. It's for members in good standing of any evangelical church that preaches the true gospel of Christ. So if you're here and you're not a Presbyterian, guess what? Welcome. Come and take. If you are here and you trust Christ and Christ alone, by faith you realize that you're a sinner and you need Jesus, come and take. This is the Lord's table, not the PCA's table, and I'm thankful for that. But if you're not a Christian, feel no pressure to participate. Actually, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves and to be discerning of Christ's sacrifice of his blood and body. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, you should have received one of these little packets as you came in. If you, if you need one, slip your hand up and somebody will go grab you one. 
As we sing the closing song, Amazing Grace, feel free to listen and pray and take the elements in your seat whenever you feel ready. Again, in the past, pre-COVID, we would all take it all together, but we're trying to do things to help everybody be safe. So whenever you feel safe and whenever you feel like you're ready, uh, feel free to take the elements. Please note that we're going to include an instrumental verse in the hymn that if you would like to take it during that time, feel free to do that. Remember, the top little clear one gets you to the wafer. The bottom thicker one gets you to the juice. If you need any help, just slip your hand up. We will help you open that thing if you're having any trouble, okay? Christ calls us to come and to feed on Him and to find grace through Him. And this bread and this cup, they're signs and seals of the covenant of grace. And so we offer this covenant meal to you as we minister in Christ's name in the church. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance. Uh, do, it, do it as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that your steadfast love endures forever as we have already thought about your amazing grace. Lord, we come to the table thinking of all the ways that we have fallen short, thinking of all the ways that we need you, O Lord, but rejoicing in the fact that you have made a way. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant us access to the throne of grace this morning, set apart these humble elements for a holy use, remind us of your grace, and seal it into our hearts. Lord, meet us here as we worship you, even as we take these elements in faith, looking to your return, as you've asked us to do. And so we do it with great expectation and joy in our heart as we're reminded of the gospel yet again. These things we ask and pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.